You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Chester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. Amazing. So... Last week, Pastor Abby kicked us off with our new series, Farmy Bible Stories. Can we just show some appreciation and honour to Abby for a great message she brought? Amazing. She talks about how to deal with a crisis, what to do in a crisis. She looked at the story of Paul and Eutychus. But today, church, we're going old school. We're taking it back to the Old Testament. This story today comes from Judges chapter 3, and this is about a man called Ehud. But what I'd love for you to do, if you could turn and face the screens, and they'll show us the story for today. Hang on a second, God. You want me to rescue your people from King Eglon? Are you joking? Have you seen him? He's massive. How am I supposed to do that? God, what am I supposed to do with this? Ah, what have you got for me, Squire? A message from God. A message from God? Is that it? Um, well, I've not got a double-edged sword under my cloak, I can tell you that right now. What is that supposed to mean? You can really feel both edges of the sword. Right, I'm done. I'm out of here. Hey, what's going on in there? What's all the commotion? Oh, he's fine. He's just using the bathroom. My people, I have killed the king. We are free! Yes! Thank you. Come on, let's do it. Yes! Come on, let's give it up for Ehud. What a man. What a man. See, I love this story because it's just so Old Testament. It says that Ehud snuck into the palace with his one-foot dagger and his dagger went right into his stomach and stayed in there and his guts poured out everywhere. So if you're feeling a bit queasy, don't worry. The tithes and offering buckets are also sick buckets today. So don't worry. But what I love most about the story of Ehud is that Ehud was an underdog. You see, Ehud, it describes in the Old Testament that he was left-handed. And today, that doesn't really mean much. That's not a disadvantage. But what that means in the Hebrew, it doesn't mean he was dominant with his left. It meant he was without ability in his right. So Ehud was the last person the Israelites thought would go and free them. Ehud had to sneak into the palace against all the odds to kill this big king. He had everyone up against him. But Ehud Ehud did it. And I love an underdog story. I love rooting for the underdog, whether that's in football, in sport. Maybe it's on sports day and someone's just rapid and you didn't realise and you're like, come on. But one thing I love more than rooting for an underdog is when I'm the underdog. I love it when I'm backed into a corner, odds stacked up, and nobody thinks I'm going to win. So what I want to take you back to is a couple years ago, December 2021, Christmas Monopoly. (laughs) We're getting serious this morning. 
See, in my family, it's a big deal, Christmas Monopoly. In the, in the lead up to Christmas, people are saying, oh, I'm going to win. I go, no, you're not. We're trying to debate who's going to win. And it gets to a day which most people here will call um, December 24th, Christmas Eve. But I call that day Monopoly Preparation Day. I'm getting in the zone, I'm preparing, I'm thinking, what am I going to buy? What am I not going to buy? What decisions am I going to make? And I've, and I've got it down. So anyway, we get to the big day, Christmas Day, we've had a good feed, it's been lovely. And I've got quite a big family, so we're all huddled around this table. But like I said, I've got a big family. We've got the veterans, my grandparents who are there. They've been here before, they know the score. Then you've got me and my brother and sister, we're got to grips with the game and we've got young passion. And you've got my little cousins who can't really say the word Monopoly, but they want to have a go. So we let them in and we play. So we kick off and I assume the car as I will not play unless I am the car. It's just my counter because in my mind it must travel quicker than the hat because it's a car. So anyway, I roll the dice. Double. Come on. Means I get to go again. I roll again. Double. I get to go again. I'm flying around the board. I roll again. Double. For those of you who don't know what that means, it means I've got to go to jail. What a huge shame. I'm there for three goes as everyone else is making their way around the board. But it's all right. I get out on my third go. People have just started to pass go. And I get going again. And I roll. Double. I roll again. And you never guess what I roll again. Straight to jail. Wow. The only consolation is I only just got out, so all my stuff's still there. It was a nice quick transition. I'm straight in. But everyone's laughing at me. Everyone's like, oh, damn, that's so silly. And at this point, everyone's starting to pass go. Everyone's starting to buy a bit of property. And I'm having to wait there. So I buy my time and I get out. And I roll. I roll a double. I roll again. A and I roll. A five, come on. I pass go, I roll my five, but that five lands me on a chance card. What are the chances I pick it up and what does it say? Go to jail. I can't believe it. I'm in jail, everyone's like, Dan, just throw in the towel. At this point, my dad's got about four different properties, hotels, it's stacked, and I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Backed up in this corner, odds against me. I think, you know what? I'm going to dig deep. So I get out of jail. I get going. You know what I buy? The waterworks. The electrical company. It's mine. And I get a couple stations under my belt. And this is where it starts to change. As I was saying earlier, a couple of my younger cousins are playing the game. And I realise one of these younger cousins has got all of Mayfair and Park Lane and all the oranges, they were in the best position. But you see, what my cousin liked was trains. And it was time to cash in. I said, let me strike a deal with you. Come here. And I said, I didn't even have all four train stations, I only had two. And I said, would you like my two train stations, you know you love them, for all of your property? And my house erupts. My uncle's like, no, it's a trick. Don't do it. Sam's going, no. But I'm there like, come on. It's negotiation. Give her a chance. And the decision is done and I make the swap. A lot of you might boo or hiss, might call it immoral. 
But it's monopoly, it's business. Business is business, had to be done. Business is business. So I'm back in the game. I'm back, I'm fighting, I'm alive and kicking. And, but then people start to get tired and they start to not play anymore. And suddenly I'm left by myself and the game doesn't get continued. So I assume by default as last man standing the Monopoly 2021 championships, come on. Come on, against all the odds, I was the winner by default. What a way to win. And I don't know about you, church, but sometimes in life, what it can feel like is we can feel like we are the underdogs. What it can feel like is that life starts to stack up against us. What it can start to feel like is that there's quite a few problems going on. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's relationship. And we start to find ourselves in this corner, pinned up, and we start to feel like the underdog. We feel like, oh, should I keep going? I feel like I should just give up. But what I want to tell you today, church, is the Bible says this. You dear children, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, You dear children are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is greater the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Church, today, it doesn't matter about the size of your problem. It doesn't matter how difficult it gets. It doesn't matter about the size of your financial crisis. It, what matters is the size of your God. Because your God is greater than all those things. Your God is above all of those things. You see, when God comes in and you let God be God, all those things have to go down. God when, God, when we let God be God in all the areas in our life, that is when we find breakthrough. But see, the tough part is sometimes it's hard, isn't it, to let God into that area. It's hard to let God into that relationship. It's hard to trust God in our finances. But that's what I want to look at today. This message is called, Let God Be God. Today, church, we need to let God be God. Turn to the person next to you and say, Let God be God. And that's one of those things, isn't it? That's a bit easier said than done. So what I want to give you today is three reasons, sorry, three ways on how we can let God be God. How we can let God be God. And that first one, number one, is that we need to put the mirror down. Step one, put the mirror down. I don't know, can I be honest today? I hope so, because I will be anyway. <laughs> I've got a few weaknesses there's a few things, <laughs> you'll find out in a minute, there's a few things I'm not good at. There's a few things I find hard and I unfortunately found this out at a young age. I'm going to take you back to year nine. In year nine I was doing an art exam and the task at hand was to um, draw this skull. I had an hour and a half to do it and you know what, I see the skull. I see an hour and a half, I think it's going to be tight, but I remember a lesson on shading. I remember contrasting. You know what, I can do it. So they count me down, I've got an hour and a half, and I've got my pencil, it's sharp and ready, and I start shading, I start shading, and I'm, I'm scribbling, trying to get this school down, and then I look up to see if I've got any time left, and I see on the clock, one hour, 29 minutes and 43 seconds <laughs> remaining. And I just think, oh God, thank you for anointing me in art. God, I thank you for using me in this gift. So as I sit back and relax and enjoy the next um, bit, hour and a half of my um, afternoon, an invigilator, someone who um, um, patrols around to see if you're doing good, they walk around and they stop by me and they look at my 
my drawing. And they say, Dan, are you finished? I say, yes. He say, um, do, you, do you need anything at all? And I go, no, I don't want to tamper with greatness if I'm honest. And she goes, well, Dan, I think you need this. And pulls out this huge rubber. And she goes, and I don't want it back. Dan, you just, just get rid of it. You've got an hour and 29 minutes to just get rid of what you've done. She said to me in that moment, Dan, you are weak at art. You are rubbish. Can you believe it? And maybe today you've got some weaknesses as well. Maybe your weakness is you go downstairs to go get something, but then you go down and you've got no idea why you're there. No idea why you're there. Maybe you're trying to eat healthily and you're on your way to work, but there's that one bakery and it smells good. Or maybe you're single and trying to focus on Jesus, but that weakness is when they've got blue eyes and they're just on fire in the praise pit and you just can't help it, but it's a weakness and you get in there. But you see, we've all got him. We've all got those weaknesses. And sometimes those weaknesses, what they do is they come up. And sometimes they start from the past. Sometimes we can feel weak and weighed down by wrong past decisions. We can feel weak and we can feel like it's burdened on us from trauma, from, from things of the past. We can start to feel weak by maybe some certain relationships that didn't work out. And what we do is we start to pick up this metaphorical mirror and we start to look at ourselves in our weaknesses. We start to look at what we say about ourselves. Oh, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. You tried it before. You can't do it again. Oh, no, you can't do that. You start to look at yourself in this mirror of um, what other people said about you. Maybe you start to put some labels on yourself. But I want to say that's not what God calls you to do today, church. He calls you to put the mirror down. The Bible says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So Christ's power may rest on me. Church, today, God's power rests on your weaknesses. The exact same thing that you think disqualifies you, qualifies you. When you feel weak, I want to tell you today, is that when, that's when you're strong because God is with you. He's with you when you feel your weakest. He's with you when you feel your lowest. But what we need to do today is we need to let him be strong on us. We need to let his power rest on us. We need to start putting down the mirror and stop looking at how we see ourselves in that negative light. We need to stop holding on to what someone said about us four years ago. We need to stop putting it down and getting into the word of God and start seeing how he sees us. Because God says that each and every one of you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He's got a plan and a purpose for you. So what you need to do is put the mirror down and start changing and looking at what God says about you. Ehud was a man who would have been perceived as weak. I said earlier he was left-handed. And you can imagine him, can't you, at combat school when he's younger, fumbling around of his right hand trying to pick up his dagger. People saying, oh, Ehud, you're weak. Ehud, you're rubbish. Ehud, you can't do that. Ehud, you can't fight. And what would have been so easy is for Ehud to pick up that mirror and start to identify that, oh, I'm too weak, I can't do it. But what God said is this. He says that the exact thing that people see as an inability, God will use as an opportunity. What's incredible about the story of Ehud is that if he was right-handed, if he was how he wanted to be made, how, how, how we want others to be like, he would never have got into the king's palace. 
because the king's guards were trained to spot right-handed soldiers. If Ehud wasn't left-handed, none of this would have ever happened. If, what Ehud allowed God to do was to use his weaknesses. See, God has made you in a special way. And the exact thing which you think disqualifies you, maybe you feel left-handed. Maybe you feel restricted in this area. God is saying, that's the exact thing I'm going to use for breakthrough. That is the exact thing that I'm going to use to have breakthrough in your life. That thing that you think is weak, that's where I'm there. So what we need to do, church, is we need to let him be there. We need to put the mirror down and we need to let God be God. And that's my question. Will you allow him? Will you allow God to be God? Will you put the mirror down? Will you allow him to qualify you? So stop excusing yourself because God's saying you can do it. Put the mirror down. Point number two is this. And pick your weapons up. Turn to the person next to you and say, pick your weapons up. See, like, like Ehud had a weapon in the Bible, we have got a weapon as well. But they're not physical weapons. Unless someone here genuinely has a one-foot-long, double-edged sword, and then if you do, fair enough. I'm not going not to argue with you, that's for sure. But what we have are spiritual weapons. What the Bible says is our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is not against other humans, but against the principalities of darkness, the things in the spiritual world. We've been given the weapon of prayer. We've been given the weapon of the word of God. We've been given the weapon of worship. And what God's saying is what we need to do is we need to use them. To let God in our lives, we need to use the weapons he's given us. But sometimes what we do is we don't pick them up, do we? And it can happen for a few reasons. Sometimes we make ourselves too busy to pick the weapons up. Don't create time or space to pick, pick the weapons up. And sometimes what we start to do is we start to pick other things up. Maybe you pick your phone up in times of crisis and you're just dropping messages. Maybe you're doing um, other things and gossiping to someone. You see, sometimes I think what the devil tries to do is he tries to make your weapons sound ordinary. The devil does not want you to let God be God. The devil wants to subdue you, but God wants to use you. In chapter 3, verse 18, it said, Ehud started home. See, it didn't mention this in the VT, but there was a moment where Ehud went to the palace for the first time. He actually went twice. The first time Ehud went in and he just gave the tribute. He never actually did what God calls him to do. Ehud actually, in that moment, didn't pick up his weapon. And I think maybe what happened is the devil made him start to question who he is. He made him pick up his mirror instead and start to say, oh, I'm too weak. I can't do it. No, Ehud, remember what they said about you? No, you can't do that. And I think what he started to do as well is make that weapon sound like it wouldn't do anything. Oh, Ehud, you've only got a dagger. You've only got a dagger. What's that going to do? And I think if we're not careful, church, he can start to do that in our lives. He can be like, oh, you've only got a dagger. What's that going to do? Do something else. Oh, you've only got prayer. What's that going to do? Watch that next episode. Oh, so, it's, only, it's only a book. Why read it? What's the point? But what I want to tell you today is that you have a weapon. God has 
given you and equipped you a weapon. And to let God be God, we need to use the weapons he has given you. Because what the devil would say, it's only prayer. But what I want to tell you today is that it's only prayer. When you speak and you pray, you're only speaking to the King of Kings. When you pray, you only speak to the Lord of Lords. When you pray, you're only one prayer away from breakthrough. When you pray, you're only speaking to the one who made you in your mother's womb. When you pray, it is powerful. We need to pick up the weapon of prayer. When you read your Bible, it's not just any book, but it's the Word of God, which is strive to be as sharp as a double-edged sword. And when you pick up the Bible and create time in your life, you start to realise it says stuff about you, like you are fearfully and wonderfully made. No weapon formed against you will prosper. You will have the victory. You will have the victory. So church, it is crucial that we pick the weapons up that God has given us. We all need to take time in our lives to let God be God. To let God be God, we need to carve out the time for him to be God. We need to start the morning a bit slower, wake up 10 minutes earlier, pick up the book. We need to, on the way to work, instead of maybe listening to BBC Radio 1, you listen to the King of Kings and you start to pray and listen to him. We need to take time to pick our weapons up. Let God be God. Point number three is this, as we just come into land, is change your perspective. Change your perspective from me to the person next to you and say, change your perspective. See, have you ever had a moment where you've had a change of perspective? Maybe it was on a person that you didn't really, you didn't really like, but then they did something really nice. And you're like, oh, they're amazing, I like them. Wow, some awkward little... Well, <laughs> we'll get past that. Or maybe you're at like one of those optical illusion museums and you like you move your head this way, cow. Move your head this way, horse. You change your perspective and the picture changes. I love them. You can tell I'm really excited. I love them. Change your perspective. But have you ever had a change perspective moment where nothing's really changed but you've almost just like blinked and you've seen the room in a different light? See, I remember... And when I was growing up, me and my brother, right, we had the privilege of owning a Nintendo Wii console. For those of you who don't know, it's an incredible gaming console. It had loads of games on it. But, um, but the issue was we both wanted to play it at the same time. So what we would do is we'd wake up early Saturday morning, get down for about 6 a.m. sharp. And what we'd do is we'd start fighting. We start fighting this battle for this purposes, for truth is, I'm on top of him, I'm winning. And we're having this battle, and I'm saying, no, it's my turn. He's like, no, it's not, it's my turn. No, it's my turn, no, it's not. And then 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning, as I'm, as I'm focusing on this battle here, a shiver goes down my spine as I realize there's a greater presence in the room. As I see this shadow come over, and what I do is I change my perspective and see my dad in the room. Vain throbbing. He's been in work Monday to Friday. His eyes are like fire looking through my soul. I look to the wee, I say my goodbyes and it's over. See church, sometimes what we can do is we can be putting lots of energy in fighting, fighting these battles. We can have our head down looking at, oh, what's the future gonna hold? We can have our head down realizing, oh, I hope this relationship works out. We can have our head down thinking, oh, this financial difficulty. Oh, but my kids' lives, they're not walking with Jesus anymore. But what I wanna tell you today, church, to let God be God, we need to realize and change our perspective that God is in the room with you and that He is fighting for you. Church, as soon as you realise and trust that God's in the room with you, 
everything changes. Everything changes. See, to let God be God, we've got to trust that He's God. You've got to trust that when it's hard, when it's painful, maybe in your room you're crying, it's tough. I've been there. You've got to trust that there's a God with you, in the room, fighting for you. You might not be able to see Him, but He's there. And He has authority over every situation. Whether you find yourself in a medical room with a loved one and it's hard and it's painful, you've got to realise that there is God is with you in that and He is fighting for you. Maybe your kids aren't walking with Jesus. What I want to tell you today is God is with them. I only know one story about the prodigals and they return in the, in the New Testament. See, God is with you. But we need to trust that He is with you. See, we, what we can't do is we can't let God be God if we don't trust that He's God. As I was saying earlier on where Ehud had this moment where he walked away. He walked away from the palace, but the Bible goes on later to say that he becomes this moment where he stops. He stops at what they call the Stones of Gilgad. Scholars talk about that these stones were um, rocks that represented the slavery, the slavery of the Israelite people. You see, this was a literal and metaphorical turning point for Ehud because he got to this moment and thought, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna change my perspective. What didn't happen with Ehud in this moment is he didn't get more warriors around him. He didn't pick up more human weapons. He didn't do this, that, and the other. But what I think Ehud did is he had a change of perspective to trust in God that if God was gonna call him into that palace, that God would go with him. If God was gonna call him into that situation, God would equip him church today when you're in the workplace you've got to trust that God's there with you even when it's hard you've got to let God be God and trust that he's there with you in that tough family gathering you've got to trust that he's with you you've got to trust it in the dark moments and we can trust and praise him in the good ones we've got to trust God today church it's time to let go it's time to let go of those battles it's time to change our perspective and trust in him stop fighting our way and fight God's way. Exodus 14, 14 says this, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Letting God be God, church, leads to peace. When we realise that there's a God with you, there's a God for you, and the God who's with you in everything, it can only lead to peace. He said that he can provide peace that transcends all understanding. So when we let God be God, it starts to not make sense. People start to pick up like, why do you look so good today? Why are you so calm and composed today? And you just gotta say, well, I'm, I'm trusting Him. I just gotta let God be God. I know it looks crazy, but I've gotta let God be God. To let God be God, we've gotta trust Him. We've gotta change our perspective. And when we start to realize that there is someone in our corner who has all authority. When we start to realise that we've got someone who's given us weapons, when we start to realise that at the end of the day it's the name of Jesus where every knee shall bow, that can only lead to us praising Him. That can only lead to us having to pick up the weapon of praise and saying, okay, I don't know if I don't feel like this. It's been a tough day, but you know what? I'm going to change my perspective. I'm not going to be led by emotion and I'm going to turn my eyes. I'm going to fix on Him and I'm going to praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m.